Well, that song, uh, I chose that song actually, Awesome God, to be able to sing because that is the title of the sermon today. God is an awesome God. And I love that song. I always feel like that song has just one more level it could go. In my mind, there's always like some insane 80s hair metal, like just um, guitar solo going on. Just one more level. And it just, one day, one day we'll get it. But I chose that song because, you know, our God is an awesome God. I think for a lot of us, when we think of this word awesome, we think of, you know, perhaps that's great. That's cool. I like that, right? You're like, that's awesome. That's great. But when we look at what that word really means, and uh, I love the fact that Dan shared the scripture today, because that's actually the passage we're going to be looking at in um, Exodus 19, if you guys want to start turning over there. This idea of awesome is really a mix between awe, this power, but yet a fear that comes along with that. So it's not just that it's great, but it's so powerful, so big, you stand in awe and it strikes fear into you. There's a um, um, respect that you have for that awesomeness. You know, and throughout... Um, Exodus, as we've been making our way through, we truly have seen the awesome power of God, haven't we? We get to see all the, we got to see all the different plays. And you want to talk about a God that is powerful, that would have struck fear into the hearts of everybody. You want to talk about a God that strikes fear into the people themselves. Man, when I think about the idea of just frogs covering everything, gnats, the boils. Waking up in the morning, just being covered in them. We have the plague of the firstborn. Awesome. The power of God. You know, my um, oldest son has been reading through the Bible. We told him that we would actually, it wasn't a bride. Uh, He he actually offered. He said, what if I read through the whole Bible? Uh, Would I get paid? And I was like... I don't know if pay is the right word. I will um, uh, reward you for uh, all your you know, um, um, efforts there. So he started reading through the normal Bible, you know, as far as the one that you and I have said before. So he made it about four or five, four or five pages in. He's like, Dad, this is a lot, of, a lot of reading. I don't know if I can do all this. He's like, all right, I'll get you the comic book version, which is a great version. You want to talk about it? It really does paint some great pictures there. But with the plague of the firstborn, the image that it has there is it has the angel of death coming, walking through the streets. And no lie, my son had nightmares for days. And I'm like, that's the awesome power of God. He's getting a little lesson there. I was, you know, comforting him, of course, as a father. But I was like, yes, you don't want to make God mad. You need to listen to your mom and dad. The angel of death will come for you. No, I didn't say that. Uh, Well, let's pick up in Exodus 19. And we're going to be able to still see the awesome power of God. We're going to see God himself come down to his people. And he's going to literally define what awesome is. Let's start here in verse 1. 
It says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left um, Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out for Rephaim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you, uh, brought you to myself. Now if you um, obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a whole nation. These are the words you are to speak to the um, Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking. And you, uh, you and will always put your trust, uh, will put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. In the sight of all the people, put limits for the people um, around the mountain. And tell them, be careful that you do not uh, approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they um, approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down from the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. And they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourself for the third day of staying from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord. And many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves. For the Lord will break out um, against them. We stop. Let's stop right there. You know, God, we see here, He's bringing His people. And it brings them through the desert. And you've got to um, imagine a desert landscape, not quite the same that we know of as far as sand, but like just barrenness. Rocky, kind of a flat area. And as he brings them, there's this mountain range in the distance. And God brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai has a flat, sheer face to it. And God brings them right there to stand before him. God brings them not to a temple, 
Not to a temple built by human hands, but he brings them literally to his creation. We see that he comes down in fire. Fire burning so much that it literally covers the entire mountain with smoke. We see thunder and lightning happening. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a lightning strike close to you, or perhaps to your house, it shakes the house. You can feel it when it's a boom. You can imagine just God speaking and continuing to thunder and thunder like that. To the point where the mountain itself is shaking. This is your awesome God. You know, when the trumpets sound and the Lord begins to speak to His people. This is how God reveals Himself to His people. Not at this point in time, not in a dove, not in a whisper, but in awesome power. God is trying to communicate not only to um, Israel who God is, but you can imagine all the different kingdoms would have seen this. Flat landscape, the, the mountain range in the distance, and there is the fire and the smoke coming down from heaven. All the other nations would have immediately known the power of God. They would have known that God is the God of all gods. And if you're the people of um, Israel, you would have known, this is my God. Your gods. Can they do this? Can they show me this? Everybody would have known the awesome power of God. Here we see that we're going to read in the next couple chapters, in the next couple of weeks, about the Ten Commandments. This is where God introduces His laws, His guidelines for His people. But it's interesting, He doesn't just start right off the bat, telling them this is what you should and shouldn't do. What He tells them is, this is how I've saved you. This is how I've loved you. This is how I've rescued you. I've carried you on eagles' wings. This is an uh, image of a mother eagle literally carrying her offspring. God says, this is who I am to you. And as we know, Israel's done nothing. In fact, after being rescued, has Israel sacrificed? How they thanked God properly. They sang a song about Him. They even come to Him and ask, Hey, how can we worship you, God? God appears to them first. He initiates with them once um, again. In fact, the only thing that Israel has done, as we've read in the past couple weeks, is grumble and whine about not being fed or not having enough to drink or whine about, Hey, we're stuck here in the desert, God. Why have you done this stuff? Yet God wants to um, establish to His people that I have loved you. That I have taken care of you. I have led you. I have protected you. I have taken care of your needs. You know, this goes against everything that we are as people. This goes against the what's inside each and every one of us. If you do something nice for me, I'll do something nice for you. Very seldom, for random strangers, do you do something nice for them. Now, if someone at work does something nice for you, perhaps you feel um, obligated, right, to go ahead. There's a great um, office episode about that. 
go back and watch that one with uh, Dwight Schrute. Um, but when someone does something nice to you, you feel obligated to do it for them. But this is not the way that God works. And even with us and our view of God is the fact that we feel that we have to live right to earn um, acceptance, to earn God's love. But in fact, here, we see that God does the exact opposite. He offers unmerited favor. Grace. You see here, this is a core of who God is. When God shows himself for the first time, this is how he chooses to show himself. With awesome power, but yet incredible love. Showing his people, I have loved you. But take a look at how powerful I am. I want you to see. I want you to fear. I want you to have an awe at my power. But know that I have saved you. I want you to look back on your life. I want you to think about the unmerited favor that God has shown each and every one of us. I'll give you a little hint. It might be good to start with Jesus. And then work your way from there. I want you to think about, maybe take some time this next week, during this week, as we do think about thankfulness, think about all the ways that God has showed you unmerited faith. Starting with Him giving His Son for you, not because He earned it, but purely because He wanted to save you. Because He wanted to rescue you. He wanted to carry you on eagle's wings. Start there and build your way to today. How has He watched over you? How has He cared for you? I want us, you know, for, you know um, once again, this is a difficult concept for us to kind of wrap our heads around. This idea that God loves us and we understand that, that He's given us unmerited favor, but yet He mixes it in. In verse 5, the idea that, but you have to um, obey Me. And that kind of has a little conflict for us. That God, you're a God of grace, you're a God of unmerited favor, you've given us everything, we don't have to earn it, but yet you tie that to us listening to you. How does that work together? I want you to think about for a moment, when you really fell in love for the first time. I'm not talking like, just like somebody, but when you really fell in love. Now for Kelly and I, we were 17 years old uh, when I met my beautiful wife. And, uh, you know, there's this kind of process when you really start falling in love with someone is you want to figure out who they are. I'm not talking like creepy kind of a list. (laughs) But you want to figure out what makes them happy. Right? What makes them tick? What do they really want? Why? Because you want to meet that need, don't you? So I remember for me, you know, as a young 17-year-old, even trying to figure out, man, what is her favorite flower? So I want to be able to give those to her. Valentine's Day, I had one of her uh, friends place flowers, her favorite flowers, in her locker. Now granted, I lived in Northern Virginia. She lived in Florida. So that was quite a feat. Kudos to me. I don't know if you remember that, but... I want to make sure you did. Um... Right, But you think about a time when you fell in love, you wanted to figure out what pleased that individual. What were their needs? How can I meet those? 
Not to somehow convince them to fall in love with you, right? That wasn't your scheme, hopefully. Right? It was, I want to win them over. I want to meet their needs. I want to show them my love for them. This is the exact same way that God starts to work. Is that He sees the individual, the people that He loves. He says, I want to meet your needs, Israel. I want to take care of you. I want to see what, I want to make you happy. But then what's your hope and plan when you fall in love with someone? That they love you back. That that goes both ways, isn't it? And we call that a relationship. That's the way that this is starting to happen here with God. He's saying, hey, I have listened to your needs. I've met your needs. I've shown you my love. And now I want you to know, I want you to love me back. And what makes me happy is if you listen. If you um, obey my laws, if you stay pure, if you live a righteous life, that's what pleases me. Let's have this relationship together. And what God says here is an interesting thing. He says, if you obey me, then you will be my treasured possession. And as we've already talked about, God has already loved me. He's already shown his love. He's already done so much. But yet, he adds this next level here. This idea of treasured possession. Now for a king of any nation, let alone God, the king of kings, he has everything. Literally everything on earth is his. It's all his. What he's saying here is that I want to make you my special possession. I want you to be close to me. I want you in my own quarters. You're going to be mine. Not just everything that's out there in the kingdom, but you're going to be what I truly, truly cherish. That's what God says He wants. That's how God views us. Is that He wants you and I to be His treasured possession. What is the same thing that He says to um, Israel here is the exact same thing that He says to us. This morning. And I want you to be my treasured possession. But you have to um, obey. That's how you're going to show your love to me. I want to keep you close. I want us to have this special relationship. But you have to listen. Have you ever considered church. That God wants you to be his treasured possession. Has that even entered your mind. You know, this morning, what if as you leave here, God comes down in all His power and all His majesty to you? What would that look like? Or would you um, expect Him to say, I want you to be my treasured possession? Would you expect Him to come down and instead look at you and say, why haven't you listened to me? Why haven't you followed me? But instead, we see here the way that who God is, is I want you to be my treasured possession. How you do that is you listen. You um, obey. We see this incredible contrast, don't we? Between intense power, but a personal intimacy that God desires with each and every one of us. You know, and I love Israel's response here in verse 8. There's no hesitation. Did you see that? They say, yes, God will do everything you say. Everything you say. Now, what is your response this morning, church? To God 
saying to you, look at what I've done. And I want you to be my treasured possession. But all you got to do is obey. So we can have this relationship. What is your response this morning, church? We see that Israel, there is no bargaining. There's no asking for additional parameters to the relationship, to the covenant agreement. They just say, yep, I'm ready to go, God. What about you this morning? What about you and your life? What does your life communicate to God when He comes down and asks you? Asks you to listen and um, obey. What's your response? But even scarier than that, what God seems to really home in on is this idea of irrelevance. That for Israel to think to casually walk up to the mountain and touch it. To casually walk up and say, you know what, the power of God, not that great. You know what you've done for me, God? Not that much. I see you. I understand it. But you know what? I'm just going to mosey on over here and touch this mountain. You're not that powerful. You're not that holy. I don't have to listen to you today. That's what God homes in on the most, is this idea of irrelevance. The power of God. But yet, we walk up to it and act as if it's nothing. For a lot of us, that is the way we treat God. We see His power, we see what He's, what he's done, but yet we act as if not that big of a deal. I'm going to live my life the way I want. I'm going to do the things that I want to do. I'm going to pick and choose the laws that I want to follow. I'm going to decide when and where I actually want to follow God. I'm going to walk up to this mountain of power, to this awesome God, and I'm going to tell Him what I want to do. You see, God's response, destroy them, kill them. We've got to look at our lives, church, and see, have we lost respect for the awesome power of God? There is that incredible relationship that He wants with you and me, but yet on the other side, there is this incredible power of God. You know, in Luke 14, it talks about two armies going um, against each other. One with 10,000, that being you and me. The other with 20,000. These two armies are facing off, as Jesus uh, tells the um, crowd here. And he says, hey, these two armies are about to battle. And what does the one do with 10,000? He goes with 20,000 and asks for terms of peace. I wonder what those terms of peace look like. Do you think they ask for much? Do you think they demanded much? They just asked for peace. But for too many of us, we see our own lives and we don't recognize who God is and who we are. And there's an um, irrelevance that we practice towards our relationship and towards God. We can fall into the trap of not today, God. I'm too busy or I'm too proud to recognize who you are. But bottom line, there has to be a response to the power of God. There has to be a response to His favor. There has to be a response to that relationship that God is offering. There is no option of no response. Because that actually, in fact, communicates more than you think. 
There has to be a response to the awesome power of God. That response is um, obedience. That's the only one God is looking for. That's the only one that will create this relationship between you and this awesome God. Is a call to um, obedience. So what is your response this morning, church? What is your response to this awesome, incredible God? That is so powerful. But yet wants that intimate relationship with you. We see in Acts 2 that God has a deliberate plan to hand over Jesus for you. He has this deliberate plan. Why? Because He wants that relationship with you. He wants that new covenant freely given by God. Unmerited favor for you and I. Why? Because He wants you to be that treasure possession. You know, Dan spoke about this mountain of fear this morning in the passage read in Hebrews chapter 12. That is the mountain we see right here. But through Jesus and, his, and God's unmerited favor, we are able to go to Mount Zion without, with full confidence of knowing that this relationship and this power of God will not destroy us. But in fact, that God will welcome us with open arms. But we got to have a response, church. You know, this morning, as we take communion, you know, I want us to think, I want us to look back on our lives. God called Israel to look back, to remember what He has done, how He has showed His love for His people. As we take the bread and the wine, I want us to look back. How has God showed you unmerited favor this morning? How has God rescued you? How has God given you the confidence to come to Him as His son, as His daughter? I want you to think about all that He has done and your response to His relationship. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray for the bread.